0: It has been so long since I've had the opportunity to share with you guys. Man, I've missed it. I've just missed it. We've missed you guys, and it's good to be back, and, you know, I don't know how, how, I'm not sure how how good this is going to work, because Judy goes, it's like riding a bicycle. You'll be fine. I don't know. Well, we'll find out. (laughs) Let me kind of give you a running start to let you kind of know how this is going to play out. Uh... I'm going to do two weeks, and then we have Easter, and then two more weeks, five weeks on a sermon series entitled Alive. And this is going to be dealing with people either who died and came back to life or who were near death, right? And there's lots of examples of that, probably more than a dozen people in the Bible were raised from the dead. And that can give us some real encouragement and hope, because maybe you've got a loved one, a marriage uh, a spiritual heart that's hardened, that you need the touch of the Lord to make it come alive again. That's what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. And we're going to have um, the revival services for a couple weeks. After that, I'm going to be back with you again. And we're going to do six weeks on the Holy Spirit. A six-week series on the Holy Spirit. What's it mean to walk in the Spirit? What's it mean to listen to the Spirit? How do I do if I'm, Am I filled with the Spirit? How come I'm not? That guy seems to be kind of walking with the Lord and I mean it's a struggle for me how's this thing work so we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit for six weeks and then uh, pastor Earl is gonna come back I think in June and part of July and then in September in the fall I'm doing nine weeks on the end times you're not gonna to want to miss that you know you look at global warming and you look at everything that's happening and the wildfires and all this and that and look at the Middle East and Putin and what's going on in Washington DC and like, man what's going on I mean this is awful you're right This is no surprise. This is the look of shock on my face. We're living in the end times. And so we're going to be walking through revelation and timelines and those sort of things. I haven't had an opportunity to share with you since I've been here for nearly, what, four or five years. So we're going to be doing nine weeks on the end times starting in September. So just kind of giving you a preview of what's going to be ahead and hopefully you can look forward to what's going on. Pull out your note outline this morning, if you would, please. Mark chapter 5, this interesting story about Jairus and his daughter who who dies, uh, it's found several different places in the Gospels, but we're going to look at Mark's rendition from the fifth chapter. And so follow along, I want you to get out your pen or pencil, we're going to interact with the text, I'm going to ask you to do certain things as you read through it once again, just to give you a little bit of context about what's going on, what's going on in this story. Here we go when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, stop right there. Where had he been? Well, he just dealt with the demoniac. Legion, remember? And now he's going from there to the other side of the lake. How do we know where he's going? I will show you in just a moment that you've got to understand the context, uh, the background of the story, geographically. Then, One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is a guy who's desperate. And pleaded earnestly with him My little daughter is dying. Notice we're dealing with a family member in crisis. Is there anybody here who has one of those? Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live, come alive. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now watch what happens. There's going to be this interruption in the story. And by the way, that's purposeful. To preach in the story of Jairus, you've got to start with this passage, then you gotta jump down to this passage because in between there's this interruption. That's there for a reason. We'll talk about that in a moment. Watch what happens. And a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for how many years? Circle the word twelve. She'd been subject to bleeding for twelve years. Watch this, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. What's interesting is Luke's rendition said she had an incurable disease. Why? He's a doctor. Dr. Luke says she had an incurable disease. Mark goes, she suffered under the help of lots of doctors and got worse. And so you, you see this interesting dynamic between the gospel writers. One guy's perspective is, hey, I'm a physician and she can't be cured. Other people are saying, those lousy physicians are taking advantage of her. It's just interesting politically a little bit of what's happening between the, the, the writers, the evangelists. By the way, that, that would be Luke 8.43 if you want to put that in your margin. Luke mentions this in Luke eight forty three, incurable disease when she heard about Jesus she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed immediately that adverb is used a great deal in Mark's gospel at once immediately quickly it's a very action-packed gospel Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. By the way, go back and look at verse 22. You see Mark repeating the same phrase. Fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him, underline this this phrase, the whole truth. Incidentally, sometimes telling Jesus the whole truth is scary. Watch what happens when you tell the Lord the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When you tell Jesus the whole truth, you will find peace and freedom. While Jesus was still speaking, now we're going to pick up the original story. Some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, Mark kind of wants his readers to remember that story. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came home to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly. I'll speak about that in a moment. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, that's going to get an interesting pushback. Incidentally, the Lord's perception of what's going on in your family member is different than yours. That which you and I see as mother death, it's permanent. The Lord sees as temporary. Are you encouraged? But they laughed at him, and and after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha cum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Why does he translate it? A, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic. The gospel's written in Greek. B, Mark is not writing to Jews. Jews would know what that meant. Mark's gospel is written to Gentiles. That's why you'll see that he needs to translate different things, like when Jesus on the cross. Hello, Eloi, a." you know. And what he was saying was, my God my God You he, know he will do this translation for his readers immediately verse 42 there's that adverb again the girl stood up and rocked walked around and she was how old was she circle the word 12 did you circle the word 12 or earlier that number at this they were completely astonished okay get out your note outline here we go let's begin with the next slide please The historical setting, once again, once you understand the canvas upon which the, the, the painting is being painted, it makes more sense. The historical setting. First, it likely occurred in Capernaum. How do I know that? Again, it says he crossed over from one side, we know where he was, to the other side. Secondly, it involved a synagogue ruler. Guess what? closest synagogue up in that area. The only synagogue up in that area is Capernaum. You're going to see it here in a second. Watch. Alright, right right here this is where the demoniac lives. The guy named Legion who had what? 6,000 demons in him. And if you look at the account, by that's in Mark 5, earlier in this chapter. If you look at that account, sometimes you can't tell when the demon is speaking when the man's speaking. It's almost bi- bipolar stuff. That happened right here at Kersey. Then the Bible says, leaving this location, we know where that was. You can look earlier in Mark 5. It says he went to the other side. What he's going to do, he's going to go this direction, land somewhere over here, because there's Capernaum where the synagogue is. Now, let me invite you to take a little trip with me. Next slide. This is Kersey. What happened in the story of the demoniac? As you can see, we are standing on the east shore of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it beautiful? And we're looking across towards the west... Incidentally, there are still tombs in this area. Jackals, locals still consider it to be haunted to this day. Our group that when we were there in Jerusalem, when we were in Israel rather, just a few months ago, we visited this place. What do you happen to notice about this area? Do you happen to see a cliff where pigs can jump off and get drowned in the sea? still there. The area it's called Kersey the area of the gadarenes or the garrisons or the demoniac now jesus would have been my uh pointer's not working here we go Hello. jesus would have been in this area heals the demoniac climbs into the boat begins crossing towards the west and then he's going to be heading up towards the north to capernaum next slide please modern day. Those of us who were in Capernaum, the headquarters for Jesus' ministry, that synagogue still stands. We were able to stand in the synagogue where Jesus stood up, read, sat down, and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right there. So, the synagogue ruler would have been in this synagogue, and this is what it looks like. Obviously, there's you know ruins, and it would have had a a ceiling on it and a roof and that sort of thing, but this is what's left today. Earthquakes, that kind of thing happens up in the Golan Heights, which is a northern part of Galilee. Okay, next, please. The person. It says he's a synagogue official. Well, the synagogue official is the guy who determines who did what in the synagogue. He did, he's the guy, but he's, he's, it's, he's hired... He would be a religious leader. If you can have the next slide, please. the The synagogue official is the guy who he he uh, reads who reads the scripture, who cleans the synagogue, who teaches from the Torah, who puts away the scrolls. The synagogue official would would assign each of those roles. So you got this religious dude. He comes to Jesus. He's pleading, "Come with me, please." My little girl is dying. She's a 12-year-old. All right. So Jesus begins going there, and then this interruption occurs. Okay, next slide. Now, when he gets there, there's this funeral going on, and that gives us some clues in terms of what's happening in terms of the setting. You've got to understand Jewish funerals in the New Testament are very different from American funerals today. How? Next slide. Fill in your blanks. Here we go. Well, first you've got to understand people express their grief loudly and by tearing their clothes. Now, in American funerals, when you go to the funeral home, it's quiet. People are whispering, right? When you go to, the, when you go to calling here in Goshen or Elkhart or wherever, it's usually very, very quiet. People are kind of, it's just very solemn. That is very unlike a Jewish funeral. Jewish funerals are very loud. They shriek. They howl. Uh, And by the way, they are required, get this, to tear their clothes. Jot in your margins. 39 regulations are required for how you tear your clothes. 39. Let me give you some of them. Tearing was to be done only while you're standing up. So, if you're grieving, you can't tear your clothes right. I can tear my clothes because I'm standing up. I'm not going to do that. You must be standing up. Secondly, if you were related to the dead person, you had to tear your clothes over your heart. If you were not related to the dead person, it was a friend or a colleague, you tore your clothes near your heart but not over your heart. When you tore the hole, it had to be large enough to put your fist through. And by the way, if you tore it over your heart, remember, I don't know how to say this gently. These people aren't wearing necessarily underwear. If you tear it over your heart and suddenly you become immodest, you were allowed to sew it up a little bit for modesty's sake. But you still had to leave the tear there. So when you got it big enough to put your fist through. So you had to be kind of you know, strategic on how you're going to make this tear. 39 regulations. And by the way, they're checking them off. Pharisees and Sadducees are watching. So when Jesus gets there, this is the kind of stuff that's going on. See, he's this guy's just kind of, he's going for it. Next screen. They hire people. They And we've seen this. They will hire people who are professional wailers or professional mourners. They have developed the art of howling and shrieking. And they when they wailed, they sort of they kind of prime the pump so everybody else begins grieving too, and you kind of try and out-grieve the other person. Okay. And finally, I found this fascinating. Next screen. You had to have the playing of flutes. It's interesting if you type into your your, uh, Bible program the word flute in the Gospels, you'll see other times where Jesus talks about a flute. It's always in the context of a funeral. You had to have people playing flutes. It's the most common instrument of that day. They would play very dissonant notes. And by the way, the poorest of the poor, you had to have at least two flutes and one wailing woman. Now, if you're a little bit more well-to-do, you can have lots of flutes and you're going to have a whole choir, see, of shriekers. And so, in fact, get this. This was so much a part, quote, of the ancient world. Seneca, the Roman statesman, reported that there was so much screaming and wailing at the death of Claudius Caesar that he said see, Claudius, the emperor, could hear it from his grave. Well, imagine the emperor dying how many people they could hire so loud Seneca the historian goes he, he could have heard it from the grave Jewish funerals now what what would be the application of this story we understand that the the geographical setting that who this guy was and kind of how these funerals work what can you and I learn from this how can might we be encouraged Here's the first. Number one, biblical application. God used a crisis to cause Jairus to turn to Jesus. There is something about pain that is a wonderful deterrent. Judy and I were watching the news as we do nearly every night together, this past week, and there was this lady that they're studying. I think she lives in Scotland or Ireland. She cannot feel any pain, zero pain. I mean, she—if you touch her, she can feel touch, but she says, "I feel zero pain." You could take a hammer and go, "Bam!" No pain. You, know, you could take a chainsaw, "No pain." She's a mother, gave birth, zero pain. And what they're doing, they're studying her. To try to learn what is it about her 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 genome, what is it about the way that she's wired up and they're trying to figure this out? because there's only one or two people in the world like this. But she goes, be careful what you wish for. because she goes, if I'm not careful, I will look down on my hands will be bleeding. I will be working in the kitchen and I'll pick up pick up a pan and suddenly realize I've burned myself. Accidentally, and I'm, now I'm blistered and felt zero pain. So pain is a blessing. It's a gift because it's an amazing, amazing deterrent. God uses pain, and by the way, if I'm not missing my guess, that's been happening to you recently. God uses pain to cause you to turn to him. Otherwise, you probably won't. Now, isn't it interesting? I mentioned that this guy was the synagogue ruler, a religious leader, a Jew. What was Jesus' relationship with Jewish leaders? It's awful. Awful. Take a peek at this. Next screen. Watch how Mark builds this case. There's reasons that Mark does this. Same gospel. Mark 2, 6. Remember the guy that's lowered through the roof? Pharisees and Sadducees, synagogue rulers are standing around. They begin criticizing Jesus. How dare that you heal on the Sabbath? What's the matter? How how can you forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins except God. Mark 2, 24. Remember, they're walking through this field. They begin, his disciples, picking grain and eating it. Wait a minute, you're working on the Sabbath. You knucklehead, you can't do that. Remember? Look at the third one. Now they're watching him saying, uh-oh, we better keep an eye out for this guy. Now they're looking for reasons to accuse Jesus, it says. You can jot these down. Maybe I've got them already printed there for you. Finally, Mark 3.6, the religious leaders began to plot together how they might what? That's in chapter 3. We're going to kill him. This story occurs in chapter 5. Here's my question. Why would I tell you this? What would it take for one of these guys to have to humble himself and turn to Jesus? How much pride does he have to swallow in front of his buddies for Jairus to come, fall on his knees, and say, Teacher, come to my house. And the other Pharisees and Sadducees are standing around watching this guy. For a group of people who had this turbulent relationship with Jesus, how desperate do you have to be to do what he did? Pretty desperate. Pretty desperate. And isn't it interesting that desperation, crisis, circumstances has a way of being a magnet to draw people to the Lord. Now here's a hard prayer. You need to pray, and this is a prayer of Hosea. You need to pray a trail of thorns in front of your loved one. It's a hard prayer for a parent, for a grandparent. A trail of thorns. Lord, bring to bear, and by the way, this breaks duties in my heart. Because we think, what will it take? Please don't touch our grandkids. Lord. Crisis. Bring someone to a place of Christ. What did it take for the life of, the, of in Jairus' life? This is a pretty hardened guy. Pharisee, Sadducee, religious leader. Incidentally, this will encourage you. Your son, your daughter, your loved one is not beyond hope. If this kind of guy can come to the God can bring your loved one back to the Lord. See? Even the most hardened critics, do you live with one of those? Even the most hardened critics, the most stubborn sinner, the most extreme doubters, the most distant prodigals, back to the Lord. And so you need to be praying just like me. Lord, use a circumstance and maybe one of their loved ones to bring them back to you. Number two. Let's look at the next screen. it interesting. This is where I'm going to talk about the middle story. Disappointment is the tool the Lord used to stretch Jairus' faith. I find it intriguing. Jairus had done everything right. He had come to the Lord. He had humbled himself before the Lord. He had appealed and prayed to the Lord. Jesus had agreed to go with him. He had done everything right. In fact, Jesus is now traveling to his home with this big crowd. And Jairus is thinking, yes, yes, it's real. And then guess what happens? This lady with a bleeding disease comes up. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes and the sandals of Jairus. I mean, again, you read, the, you read the, 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 the middle portion of the story. You read that and think, oh, that probably took 30 seconds. No, 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 no. To read it takes a few seconds. It probably was several-hour encounter. How do I know that? Because by the time he's done dealing with this woman, it's probably set three or four hours, what happened to the girl? She's dead. And by the way, they've already organized the funeral and it's going on. Have you thought about that? The funeral is already happening. How long does it take to hire the mourners, and to get the flute players, and to, to make the, you know, to get this funeral? Several hours. Again, put yourself in the shoes of Jairus. He's standing there looking at his watch, going, Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on, come on. Look, this, this lady has got a chronic disease. He's had it for 12 years. My daughter is terminal. Now, let me think. Terminal what are you doing man And I you, and then the, his friends come up and say, you know, by the way it's it's too late. she died and no sense coming anymore. What happened in the heart of Jairus so mad you could spit. And inside your heart, you're going, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm coming to you. I'm praying about it. I'm giving it over to you. I'm humbling myself. And then, grandpa who's been there and so have you, haven't you? That's tough stuff. You just, you are so disappointed. Disappointed in the Lord. Can I say that out loud? Disappointed in the Lord. Twelve years earlier, girl was born. The Bible says she was 12 years old. 12 years earlier, a little girl started her life, and there was great joy. 12 years earlier, an older woman got a bleeding disease. Why would Mark tell us it was 12 years for each of these situations? Isn't an interesting, 12 years later, these two individuals Is doing this for a reason, beloved. He's saying, regardless of what the issue is, regardless of your, what your disappointment is, it is temporary, not terminal. It is temporary, not terminal. Jesus knew what He was going to do. Jesus wasn't saying, "Oh, not I'm sorry. Time got away from me. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Oh man, she died." <laughs> but if I help pay for the funeral? Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do with Jairus' daughter even in the middle of this interruption. What appears to be a period in reality is a comma. You think... I know some of you pretty well in some of your family situations. It looks like the end. It's not a period. It's a comma. Do you believe that? Huh? And that brings us to number three. Nope. <laughs> so, go back there just for a second, Don. Thank you. Jairus needed to learn, man, this is convicting, that the timing for Jesus to deal with his daughter was not up to him. You're going to be late. You're messing around with this lady who's got this bleeding. She's had it for 12 years, Jack. I mean, man, my daughter's dying. Timing's not up to you. You cannot dictate the terms nor the timing. Jesus is going to do it in in the, in the way he sees fit and in the timetable he determines. And that leads us to three. Boy, this is a mouthful, isn't it? You see, Jairus had new levels of trust to discover. And God used a family member to teach him accidentally God's gonna use a family member to teach you and me too because there's new levels there's new depths of faith I can only learn in this manner I'm not gonna learn any other way mark has already shown in his gospel next screen he had power over disease the man who lowered through the roof by his four buddies he had the power over, Mark for disturbance when he stilled the storm. He had power over demons. That was the issue with legion. He is now going to have power over death. Can you see what Mark is doing? Mark is showing his readers and he's showing us, beloved, Jesus has power over disease and disturbance and demons and death, but there's one word I haven't put up there, and that's a lesson for you and I this morning. And here it is. I can believe that he has power over death and disease and disturbance and demons. This is the one I struggle with. Do I believe he has power over delay? He purposely delayed. Just like with Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was already dead or sick unto death, he purposely stayed where he was three more days. What? And he shows up, and I mean Martha is hopping mad. She says in John 11, Lord, had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why did you knew three days earlier? Had you been here on time, he wouldn't have died. Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will live. Do you believe that? He did it on purpose. The delay was purposeful. And by the way, that's severe truth you need to hear this morning. His delay is purposeful. Are you willing to trust him for it? I have good days and bad days. This is the dis- this is my discovery path to learning to dis- learning to trust him in ways I haven't had to trust him before is it hard ask Jairus let's pray Father I just want to thank you that you are a God of hope who said to you oh Lord I, I believe help me in my unbelief Lord I, I know at least I say that you're sovereign that you're in charge and that you love us and that your timing is perfect and that your mechanisms are, are right to trust for delay and Lord I pray for these dear people that Judy and I love so deeply that some of them are dealing with tough stuff and I pray Lord that you'll renew their hope that you'll encourage them and that Lord when we're disappointed even disappointed in you That somehow you'll, you'll renew our spirits. The next day is going to be a better day. And that you'll keep toughening up our faith muscle.